Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your blessings to all of us getting us here today. I thank you for our freedom to gather without fear, to learn about you and to worship you. I pray to be with us today. May you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, where we were, uh, just we had spent a lot of time wrapping up the, the fourth commandment uh, last week and then kind of barely got into this next set of notes. If you recall, basically what we're doing is that we're looking at the two great commandments. And I'm sure everybody knows what those are. Basically, there is the vertical part of it, which comes first. It's the first great commandment, which is that we love God totally. Heart, soul, mind, strength. That is supposed to be uh, our main focus. But Christ also said that there is a second great commandment, which is like to it. He doesn't say it's identical, but it's like to it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, as I may have spent an undue amount of time when we first got into this, there are two great commandments. There are not three. There are people who mistakenly take that love your neighbor as yourself commandment to say, oh, well, we are commanded to love ourselves. <laughs> well, no. Uh, in fact, uh, if you re- really read the New Testament, uh, there are passages which say that self-love is a horrible sin and that you should avoid it. <laughs> uh, because you cannot start from that and get anywhere good. We naturally love ourselves. Uh, and that's not necessarily a good thing, but it, it's what we do. And so, since that is how we understand caring about someone, uh, Christ says, do this. Well, actually, it's Old Testament too. That's your standard. As much as you care for yourself, which it usually is, I'm numero uno, I'm, I'm the primary focus of my life, well, redirect that to your neighbor, who is everybody, basically. So we have these two great commandments, and then we are kind of unpacking that, looking first at the first four commandments, which are God-directed, how we worship Him, how we think of Him, uh, how we talk about Him, uh, and ought not to talk about Him. <laughs> uh, and then the last six commandments uh, are really kind of the exposition of the second great commandment. Well, how do we do things horizontally with other human beings? Specifically, the people that we are closest to, which is our fellow believers, but it's not limited to that, because it's supposed to extend to really all human beings. And so if you just kind of rehashing what we started to begin with, um, in uh, Roman numeral 1, I have this verse, these verses from 1 John 4, which make the point that you cannot separate those. In fact, uh, they ought to flow back and forth one into the other. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Oh, come on, John, you want to be a little clearer? Uh, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I mean, here we are, you know, we're we're sitting here, if we cannot care about each other in the flesh, 
God is spirit. He's not here physically. How can we really love Him if we can't even get past the basics? <laughs> love 101. You know, here are these other people. How do you deal with them? And this commandment, commandment, not it's a nice pious suggestion, we have from Him that whoever loves God must also love his brother. And sometimes we get so focused Godward that we kind of say, oh, well, okay, I'm going to focus, spend all my time on him and ignore those people they can kind of do for themselves. That's not the way it works. So now we're looking at the, this kind of what I call the horizontal element, which are the commandments 5 through 10. And I'm not going to give you the long, detailed exposition of these from the larger catechism. It's very useful, but I don't want to unduly focus on the details. Because actually, I think if we come to it in the right spirit, the details will take care of themselves. And that's really what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Love is the fulfilling of the law. But we are unused to thinking of love and law in the same sentence even. But Paul writes to us, inspired by the Spirit, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he goes on to explain that. The commandments, these are what? The Big Ten. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Those kind of ring a bell from Exodus 20? And any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's specifically saying, that's the overarching theme, that's the forest, these are the individual trees, but you've got to keep your eye on the big picture. Why? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Now, sometimes that seems so simple. You know, there's got to be more to it than that. Paul is mainly mentioning the thou shalt nots, the, the prohibitions. Remember, though, those smart guys... In, at Westminster, when they were writing that catechism, and we talked about this, looked at each of the commandments and they said, there is implied in everything that you're told to do, things that you're not supposed to do, that you're forbidden to do. Similarly, when you're told not to do something, that implies positive things that you should be doing. So you've got to think in those terms. So there are the duties required and the things prohibited. And you've got to keep those in mind. And so that's kind of what's going on here. But we also need to think about exactly what's in those Ten Commandments. And so go back to Exodus 20 just for a moment and we'll, we will go into these in great detail because as I'm mentioning, we're trying to keep the big picture in focus and not get too bogged down in details, but it is significant. Okay. 
when we get into the, this first giving of the law and the, the Ten Commandments, and we get down to verse 15. Very simple. You shall not steal. Okay, well, I haven't purloined anything recently, so I'm good, right? <laughs> well, drop down a little bit to 17. You shall not covet. And there's a whole lot of things that you shall not covet. Your neighbor's house, his wife, his male servant, female servant, his ox, his donkey. Very loyally, there's the, the expansion clause to make sure that anything is not excluded, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, what has Paul done? There is not just the commandment which is specific and express against the outward activity, stealing. But at the very end of all of these commandments, he says, oh, by the way, what is your heart attitude in doing all of these things? Because it's the coveting, it's the desiring that which is not ours and which God has not given us at that point which leads to the theft. And it's the same thing with all the rest. Well, and I was going to say, you didn't qualify what you should not steal. Hmm. But it's possible to steal somebody's time, their reputation, yeah. their family. Anything which is our neighbor's. Exactly. Anything that we are not entitled that to. That was the qualifier there, was yeah. anything that right. is in And we're not going to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount. That's a wonderful series of studies all by itself. But what does Jesus point out in the Sermon on the Mount? It's not just the stealing commandment, which is clarified by the don't covet commandment, but he says, oh, how about that thing about adultery? Now, you may not be hopping into bed with some other person's spouse, but are you lusting after them? There's that thing that's going on inside, which also is unacceptable. And so, this is the important thing, and this is where we get the big distinction between law in the life of the Christian and the law as the Jews, and particularly the, the Pharisees, understood it. Which is, okay, if we've got the complete list of all the things things that we're not supposed to do that doesn't affect our hearts. It doesn't affect our attitudes. But we're still great. We're still righteous with God. You know, I can be standing there in the marketplace lusting after whomever, but I'm okay because I haven't actually gone out there and touched them. No. You're just as filthy as if you'd actually done it. That's what Jesus teaches us. You have that checklist that leads to pride. Yes. Yeah. And so we get this outward works righteousness thought. Okay, if I do this, uh, you know, if I don't go more than a thousand yards on the Sabbath, I'm not violating the Sabbath. You know, all of these kinds of fine lines and man-made rules. But it's not doing anything with the state of the heart. Now, 
it's easy because we've got these biblical examples to point the finger at the Pharisees and their attitudes. But there's an awful lot of this within the Christian community as well. You know, pastor preaches about it all the time. You can do all of these things. You can come to church. You can put money in the plate. You can sing gustily. Uh, but if your heart is not in it, if you don't have the right attitude, bottom line, it does you no good. And actually that's part of what we're going to get to in 1 Corinthians 13. So there is a certain works, I call it works moralism, that can creep in in the Christian life, where we think that, you know, uh, if we're doing the outward stuff, then we're okay, but the hearts are still not in it. Can I? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what happened yesterday. You know, Tom, he's walking his place. The neighbor, he was praying for the uh, his uh, transmission. He's working, mm-hmm. and then um, after that, whatever he does, he he wanna come to my house mm-hmm. and custom working. And then his neighbor come, and he just uh, stopped by. So he told him, "I'm going to do this and uh, that as a friend." He started talking and talking. He come kind of late, mm-hmm. and I said, "Mr." I love the Bible says you love your neighbor yourself. Mm-hmm. So I, he, I told him uh, I'm gonna do this one, but he just keep staying a couple hours. So I give him the hard time, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know. You try to do the labor like yourself. But I'm trying to follow the, what the Bible is learning. But I let him know. Mm-hmm. What are you supposed to pray? I give him the hard time, like wife told you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then he said, I'm a little confused. Yeah. I try to live like the what Bible says, and uh, now you woman give me hard time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what is what we do then? When in that case, just uh, let him go. Then of course next day, yesterday he been working all what he been he mm-hmm. been doing Friday. <laughs> so that's he he's all right, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, no well, pressure, no pressure. Well, the, the question is, uh, is he really loving his neighbor? Or is he simply doing things that make him feel good because he thinks he's loving his neighbor? Is he doing it out of obedience and love to God? Because yes, of that, he's and then as a, that's why I want to show the Christian how we can do He said that he's discerning. Even the word church, you go to hell. That's what he told him before he's in the church. Mm-hmm. Then much, every time he used him, he knew that, but he wants to really, he knows he's going to church, and he wants to really obey the Lord, you know. Yeah. But I get, he get confused, and I give him the hard time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, sometimes... That's what we have to do, you know. Uh, speak the truth in love, but still speak the truth. And so if they're applying a, a wrong understanding and wrong attitude, then they have to be tactfully shown, you know, that's not really right. So that they... And that's showing that you love them because you love them enough to, to show, point right. that out. Hey, yeah. this... this I'm sorry, but 
Yeah. And I, you know, and that's it. Yeah. Right here. And thank you. Yeah. This is real, our life. Yeah. The, the right. more we live like it's, this. So it's really and nice. that's why we're here learning together because we are loving each other and helping yeah. each other to learn how to actually walk it. Yeah. You know, because it's hard. And when you have little situations like that, some other people may go, oh, that's so little. But to somebody else that's been there, it helps to to share that and mm. to understand that yeah. and to have our teacher explain it to us, you know, and, and other brothers and sisters. So, yeah. And sometimes people like Ruth do a much better job than I do. So. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is key, that we are given these commandments, we are told to understand them, they, there is still validity to them. If, you, if we read Paul... He's talking about how the law uh, is our schoolmaster. We're, we're, no under, we're no longer under a covenant of works because Christ's works have done for us. But we are still supposed to live in a way that pleases God. These principles still apply, but again, it's not just outward activity. I've told this story before. Those of you who are parents will kind of uh, identify with this. There's a story about uh, the mother with the little child in church, and the little child, being a little child, doesn't want to sit down, wants to jump up and run back and forth on the pews. And mom keeps saying, Sit down, sit down, sit down. And finally, the little boy sits down and he says, All right, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. And we can laugh at that, but that's really uh, our problem as adults, too. Are we still standing up against what God tells us to do as far as sitting down on the inside and pretending that, well, because I'm sitting down outside, my outward activity is in compliance, even though my heart is far from him, that's not what he wants. I mean, that was part of what he, all the prophets were coming to Israel and saying, God says, get out of here. Don't trample my courts. Don't carry on with this fake worship when you don't really mean it, when you're just trying to make yourself feel good. Oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we're there, we're giving, we're sacrificing, yay, yes. That's not what he wants. He wants the heart. Think about that. What does he say? Love the Lord with all your heart. And the second is like unto it. So it's got to be in that heart attitude. Okay. So to show you that I'm hopefully not just conjuring this up, I've given you some illustrations, particularly out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, we will talk about that. Not in great detail, but... Uh, go to Matthew chapter 5. And there are other versions of it, but this is the kind of classic rendition of this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we get there, uh, we start uh, with the Beatitudes, the blessed Blessed are you do when you do these things. And that's something worth 
a lot of serious consideration, but come down to verse 17 through 20. And Christ says that he has not come to destroy, to abolish the law or the prophets. I do not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So he's not saying, oh, those are no good, those are abrogated, don't need to think about those anymore. Because if he's here to fulfill them, and he says, I'm not taking away from them, they're still valid. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, and so forth. 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, part of that is the hard attitude. But where do we get the right heart attitude? It's going to be the spirit that's actually at work in us. And, but we are also to feed ourselves with the word and prayer. Exactly. In fact, we were just listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg this morning, which talks about uh, this is how we achieve the fullness of the Spirit. It's not that we sit there saying, okay, pour it on me, Lord. Because it's by learning and thinking and applying what the Lord through the Spirit, has put into Scripture to teach us and direct us and inspire us, that we, that's how we really invite the Spirit into our lives, by paying attention to Him. Yeah, I think often we don't spend enough time reflecting about our attitudes and our behaviors, mm-hmm. and then taking that to the Lord in prayer, right? And then that opens up the opportunity for repentance. Because then we can really come to the Lord and say, you know what, I blew it here today. And then you can see those patterns in your life and in your attitudes, right? And then by going in prayer and getting God's those power of the Spirit, then you're able to start to take those on. So ultimately, it is the Spirit at work in us. We, you know, Christ says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." It's the spirit that connects us organically with Christ so that we become part of his body and we can do something. But it's not of ourselves. But if we are real Christians, right actions should be the outflow of the right attitudes that we receive through the grace of the spirit living in us. Fruit, exactly. Okay, so just a few more examples here. Verses 21 and 24, commandment against murder, commandment 6, reaches not only the act, but the unrighteous anger, which is qualitatively the same as the murder. It's still that. And even if we restrain ourselves, Matthew fifteen nineteen, out of the heart, out of the heart, 
come evil thoughts. It starts with thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's a lot of the commandments right there. All of these violations of God's commandments come out of that bad heart. And so, well, we, even as Christians, if we have unresolved anger, we cannot even offer acceptable worship. Our relationship with our brother, sister, affects our relationship with God. So, uh, what does he say in, uh, back in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 23? Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, that's worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And then, even in very practical terms, agree with the adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. So, but, okay, my brother, you know, Christian brother, call him Ralph, I don't know if there's any Ralphs here. (laughs) I use Ralph uh, as my hypothetical person. Because uncle used Ralph. I'm coming to worship, and then I remember that my brother has something against me. doesn't say whether I deserve for him to have something against me or even if it's illegitimate. It's the fact that there is this broken relationship which ought not to be the way that it is. Uh, How do you know that your brother has something against you? Well, if he's really your brother, you're probably going to get the picture. <laughs> yeah, but I, I... Sometimes you don't know. But sometimes I'm talking yeah. Christian brothers yeah. and sisters. You don't always know. You don't always they, know. Yeah. But, again, sometimes, without knowing specifics, we can sense that there Something's is... The temperature has dropped about 10 degrees. Okay. You know, why does Ralph or Mary Jane or whoever, it's not like it was. It's not that closeness that we're used to. Maybe there is something that they perceive, and, and actually, it seems like an awful lot of times there are misperceptions, breakdowns in communication where there is absolutely no offense intended, but somebody takes something the wrong way. That's part of the problem with jokes. (laughs) Not everybody has the same sense of humor. And so you can offend somebody totally without intending to, but you've got to pay attention to your audience. (laughs) And that's another way, a good way to find out how much you love them too, because sometimes I've done that, and I go to somebody because, you know, you feel... That wasn't quite their usual greeting or whatever, you know. And you go to them and you go, "Have I done something? I'm really sorry. I did that to you too, didn't I?" So anyway, but um, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, so 
So you go to that person and, and it gives you opportunity because, like she said, no. You know, mm. what are you talking about? Yeah. I was like, I was just checking, just checking. And, but it gives you opportunity because then you can also ask that person, well, are you doing okay? How's things? Yes. You know, because sometimes it, it was your perception, is that what you said? Mm -hmm. And, and they, they don't quite look the same or, and there's something wrong and there's something's heart numb or something, you know? And that way you get to find out to help them and pray for them or whatever. Sometimes you don't need to know, you know, it's mm -hmm. none of your business. But still, they can just say, well, I, I got something on my heart. And you go, okay. So you pray for them. And you care enough to talk to them. Anna, and you don't have to say, I will pray for you. Excuse me. Do it right then. Yeah. They're in your arms. You do it right then. Right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. So, Sorry. And <laughs> again, this, this is just one example but it works with every kind of relationship which is deteriorating. Okay, in 523 it says, you remember that your brother has something against you. Okay, whose heart do you know the best? Your own. Uh, Mark 11, uh, 24. Christ again. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask for... Uh, in prayer, believe that you receive them and you will have them. 25, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Yeah. So it's, it's if I have something against you, it's not even if I'm aware that you have something against me. Oh, no loopholes. <laughs> no matter... What our position is, what the cause of the breakdown in relationship is, each one is equally required by these two verses to do what we can to make it right. And that's hard. Because it's exactly because the relationship is broken that we don't want to go and talk to somebody. We feel uncomfortable with them. Saying, well, he's going to treat me like that. It's hard. And that's, again, you know, people say, oh, I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's such a wonderful statement of ethics. But nobody who is not a Christian and has the Spirit living in them can even come close to complying. We all fail anyway. But the, the non-believer, they may think that they understand it and can follow it, but they can't. This is for us. This, this is reminding us of how, this is how this love that I'm telling you you ought to have plays out. Okay, moving on. Uh, back in Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30, I've already alluded to adultery. Adultery expressly forbidden by number 7. But it begins with the looking with the lustful intent. So ultimately it's that heart attitude that you have to deal with first. Uh, verses 33 through 37. Here we're talking about truthfulness and fulfilling our oaths, which is commandment number nine. But 
frequent swearing of oaths often tends toward other kinds of sin. Exaggeration, lying, blaspheming God's name. Now we're back to number three. You're taking his name in vain. Or simply speaking in ways that do not edify. What's the point in opening our mouths if we don't have something helpful to say? Proverbs 10. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Silent cow. (laughs) He didn't talk unless he had something worthwhile to say. And when he did, people listened because it was worthwhile to hear. But it's the same thing in our lives. If we're just blathering on all the time, and I won't get political, but look at Washington right now. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. And people forget, this is a little bit further on in Matthew chapter 12, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. And then Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, because there can be things that are truthful which aren't really timely. There's a timing to really giving that kind of counsel which God will bless. The whole point is that it may give grace to those who hear. And there's a parallel series of statements in Colossians chapter 3. Actually, that's kind of where I'm going. So turn to Colossians chapter 3. One of those little, littler epistles. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, Uh, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Paul is giving some fairly direct advice. Basic principle is in verse 2. Seek, well, verse 1. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. And so when these things appear, uh, let's see, Uh, let's see, I I was going to tell you something, but I've got the wrong verse number here. Oh, it was. uh, Well, I'm losing it. (laughs) Okay, there is there is a verse. (laughs) Take my word for it, and I'll find it again. But Paul expands on this whole sins in the mouth, and he says, not even coarse jesting, mm-hmm. not even those kinds of dirty stories around the water cooler. Those are the kinds of things that's simply not appropriate for believers in Christ 
And so ultimately, uh, and this, I did want to get to this, 3.14 of Colossians. But above all these things, all these other things that he's been talking about, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has any complaint against another, oh, here it is again, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love. And the New King James, which is what most of us are using now, says, which is the bond of perfection. Uh, that's I, I, not as clear as I would like. What I've quoted for you is out of the ESV. Above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I think that's clearer and more helpful. When we're putting on love, when we're seeking to make that our fundamental attitude and approach to things, our heart approach, then everything comes together. And as Paul was telling you before, if you're loving your neighbor, you won't do anything wrong to him. And so all of this other stuff will fall more naturally into place. So whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The two great commandments are inseparable. We cannot have that right attitude toward our brother and sister, really love them, really act properly toward them, if we're not loving God first. The, the the thing you mentioned a moment ago, it, it, what I heard you, what I, I got out, out of it was kind of, you are what you eat. If you're sitting there listening to bad crap at work all the time, you're standing around the cooler and, and you're listening to the jokes, well, what you eating on? That's yeah. what you're feeding on. Yeah, much and, less repeating it. And, and, and so you should walk away, yeah. and if they say, hey, I, I heard this new joke, if it's not clean, I really don't want to hear it, thank you. Yeah. You know, and, and but apply that, you are what you eat, in, mm -hmm. in other things you do. Yeah, and we can go into this in greater detail, but it's not even just, we, we can fairly easily avoid the, the foul language and the bad jokes, but... Are all the things that we are hearing and carrying on to others gossip? Mm -hmm. Is it really for edification? Uh, well, I need to tell you about Mary Sue so that we can pray for her. <laughs> no, you're not. You, you, that, that's your excuse for carrying gossip. And there are things, you know, there may be serious sins that it's necessary for the church to deal with. But usually, it's not because you talked about Mary Sue to Sarah Jane. It's because if you became aware of this, you said, first of all, did you go to that brother or sister yourself and say, hey, you've got a problem here, and try and help them, or ultimately... This is where we get paid the big bucks. You take it to the session. Because it's ultimately you as an individual seeking to admonish one another. And we'll get into all those one another's later on. But ultimately, if that doesn't work, 
on an individual basis, and if it's that serious, then you take it to the session. And sometimes, if it's done properly, a session can deal with a serious sin, a serious breakdown in obedience, privately. And it doesn't have to become splattered all over the church, or the White Mountain Independent, or whatever. So, and that's for the safety of the whole flock. Right. You and and not because I I didn't there was a time where I didn't quite get that. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, what do you got to what what do you got to take it to the the elders for? Mm-hmm. Well, because of that, because they're mm-hmm. there they're the ones up on the gate watching, you know, to make sure that them boogers don't come in. And if one sneaks in and starts gnawing on your leg, well, you don't have to tend to it long no more. They, yeah. That's what they're there for. So, again, I hadn't planned to go into this in great detail, but it's all a part of this. Speech. Out of the heart flow the things that we say. That's where they come from. So, are we being careful about what we hear, which can influence what we say, but most importantly, are we paying attention to how we talk about one another? Mm-hmm. Is it really constructive criticism or is it destructive criticism? Are we talking to the person that we have the issue with or are we talking to somebody else when it's our problem with brother X or sister Y? So, being a Christian is not easy. <laughs> But we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be showing forth Christ to the world, and part of that is simply in our day-to-day walk. The old-fashioned term for how you lived your life was your conversation. We, nowadays, we just use that as, uh, you know, for how we talk to one another, which certainly includes that, but it's our whole way of life. Because, what do we say? Actions speak sometimes louder than words. Sometimes you need the words to explain the actions, but it's all together. How are we acting in our lives? Are we reflecting well on our Father in Heaven? It all comes down to this hard attitude. Okay, you're going to be amazed, but I'm actually going to stop on time. So if we're listening to Colossians, if we're listening to Christ in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, The heart attitude, that's the root. We were even told, do not let a root of bitterness grow up in you, which is often what happens when we don't deal with those broken relationships. It just kind of festers and gets uglier. It's the sinful attitudes. And if we have those, then the kind of perfect harmony that Colossians talks about, that's impossible. You cannot love your brother if you're hating him, (laughs) if you're not getting along with him. And so if we don't have the right attitude, if we're ultimately thankful to God, and if we're really thankful to him, if we really appreciate him, what is that going to mean? We'll act out in gratitude.
and in the way he wants us to be. But without that, that bad attitude is going to poison the relationships with other people, with God. You can't get along with your neighbor whom you can see. You can't properly worship God whom you can't see, uh, but you know how to approach him. And especially if we're doing things in Christ's name with the wrong attitude. How much of that have you seen and heard? Where people will basically say that uh, God directed them to do something or other. Or, you know, well, I'm doing this for your own good in the name of God and Christ. Uh, when it's it's not it's just totally destructive it's unnecessary it's not building up it's tearing down so this is where we need seriously to examine our attitudes where are we in our hearts this is the kind of thing that we're supposed to be thinking about before that second Sunday every month when we come to take communion are there things that I need to deal with and I know of people who have been struck with the realization of a broken relationship as they're sitting in there and the tray is coming and they say whoa my attitude is so screwed up that I really need to follow Matthew and I'll pass I won't actually take it it's, it's more important than just the outward act. It's where my heart is at this moment, and I would need to deal with that in order to worship God and appreciate Him in the way that He wants me to look to Him. And so, okay, the, the, the trays will pass me by. Nobody's going to pay any attention. We shouldn't be looking. But then you go out and you meet your brother or your sister and you resolve that. Right. Or make your best efforts. Yeah. Now, when it's, your, when it's say you're, you're doing something that you really think that you're trying to do it to help the other person, but really it has, and others are noticing mm -hmm. that it's affecting you mm -hmm. that you're trying to help this. So you can warn them because this is your brother or sister mm -hmm. in Christ, you can warn them, you're looking a little run down, or you're looking a little tired, mm -hmm. and, but, and, and you can try and bring it to their, so they see it, mm -hmm. but sometimes they can't, cause they're, and so that, that's a point where you just gotta go, okay, I can't, because if I hang out, then that's going to start getting into my house, and I don't want that in my house. So I'm going to have to just really, really start going, and I mean truly going before the Lord for them, because that's my brother or my sister. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That's we're, the best thing you can do. We're told ultimately to love our enemies even, and sometimes, yeah. you know, there is no approaching someone who is at that condition of, anger and upset, so all that you can do is pray. You can say, 
you know, I'd like to, to work this out with you, but it's it, okay. Though, though, yeah. is what I'm seeking to really clarify. You know, it, don't, it's good to back off because you don't want that getting on you. You know what I mean? You and you don't, don't want to catch their flutes. Yeah. Well, kind of to this point, that's when you're superseding the Holy Spirit. Yeah. There's a point where our counsel and our advice of what we're doing with someone, we're 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 superseding where God needs to convict this person. Mm. We can only go so far, and then we know that God has to convict the heart, right? And He brings about the repentance, and we can't do that. Amen. Okay. And even if there's something that we observe about somebody else, if it's not a personal offense where we can go and say, okay, we've got this issue, uh, at a certain point, but it's not always immediately you have to jump on it right away, you do have to admonish the brother or sister. We're told that. But there ought to be a lot of prayer and serious thought given to the timing because often... It's God's timing about when you actually approach a problem and even you know how your face looks when you come up to the person that's going to make all the difference in whether they are receptive or not. So again, this is where godly wisdom comes in, which includes just being smart people. <laughs> paying attention to the personalities of the others that we're dealing with. Sometimes you can look at somebody and say, no, I better not talk to them that way. <laughs> there, there's another way that maybe I can, can do it. Yeah. So again, we're talking principles here. Okay. And so we have to pray over it. We have to be conscious of it. Be aware of our own heart attitudes. If there is an issue that's personal, that we're trying to resolve. We can even come to somebody and say, well, I'm going to forgive you, okay? <laughs> and the heart's not really there. And the effect is not going to be what it's supposed to be. So, it, these things are not easy. We cannot paint black and white. We cannot give cookie-cutter solutions. Because it's all paying attention. If we really love somebody, even in our immediate families, we realize each of those kids has a different personality. How do I deal with him as opposed to her? And how do I make him realize or her realize that when I'm dealing with the other one differently, it's not that I love one or the other more, it's that I'm trying to do what is most helpful and appropriate for that kid's personality. Husbands and wives, extended family. It's hard work. Pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. There can be situations where you, you honestly assess what you, how you've offended and you go to them and you beg their forgiveness and they choose not to forgive you. And you just have to move on. Yes. Uh, there are professing believers that you think is a brother or sister, and ultimately they're not. Their heart is not right, or they're not to the point where they can act like a brother or sister. And so, th this is also something that's hard to uh, realize sometimes, but we are only responsible 
ultimately for mm-hmm. what we do. I got answer to God for me. We've got plenty of direction about what we are supposed to do, how we're supposed to act. And if it doesn't have the immediate impact or effect that we would like, that's God's timing. I mean, there are lots of things that he does that we have no clue about how he's going to work it out. And, you know, Paul talks about, well, uh, somebody preached and somebody else watered and but ultimately it's the Spirit's doing this, and we have no clue when the Spirit is going to blow into that person's Amen. heart. Amen. Uh, John 3. Yep. So, we can only do what we understand God is directing us to do, pray and hope for the best results, uh, but if it doesn't happen, then we'll say, okay, God, if I screwed up, I did the best I could, Please forgive me for not having a better understanding or a better approach. Uh, but he forgives our failings too. Amen. So. And don't uh, walk away with that attitude like, well, I, you know, I'm so pious. Oh, yeah. that, <laughs> you know, um, because I was that person one time and they, they never got, because I never saw them again, but I have prayed a whole lot of times. Oh, Lord, just bless their socks off because they came to me and tried to help me. And I was just, so I'm really mean at the time. It was like, well, it's wonderful for you, you know. And I walked away and, and they had such a, a, a look, at, you know, like, well, poor Ruth. But I think, and I'm sure they did because I can't wait to meet them in heaven. They kept on, they kept on praying for me and say, "Lord, I see wonderful things for that girl. She just, I'm going to strike a snake right now, but I see that she's going to be, you know, love you. So just please keep after her." And they didn't give up praying for me. So don't give up praying for that person. Don't walk away thinking that you done all you could do. Walk away, sure, because you don't want to catch the flu. But keep praying yes. for that person. Don't give up. Yeah. yeah. Augustine's mom paid, prayed for him for like 35 years before yes. the Lord worked in his life. You know, so. yeah. Okay. Well, we've managed to go over time as usual. So <laughs> don't want to break the tradition. Uh, so we will pick up. Now, I do want to transition to looking at the, the church in Corinth. So if you have some time this week, go ahead and read the first 13 chapters. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit about the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I put it, about what was going on in Corinth. And then that's kind of the backdrop to really appreciating 1 Corinthians 13. So uh, we'll move ahead with the rest of these notes next week and uh, see how far we get there. Yes, Yes. Good, bad, Yeah. And he was only good by comparison. <laughs> okay. Well, as Ruth admonishes us, let's pray and pray and pray. Heavenly Father, we look at your word. We see the kind of people that you desire that we would be and we know that we haven't uh, the foggiest chance of even approaching being those kind of people 
accept that your spirit dwells in us, that you have given us uh, that power to not sin now, but that we fail. So we thank you not only for your direction, and we thank you for putting the desire into our hearts to be the kind of people that you'd have us to be, but more than that, that you have sent Jesus to pay the price for all of our sins, even those that we're going to continue to do, that we fail and omit and mess up, even with, we hope, the best of intentions, and yet you are ready to call us your children. You forgive us, you adopt us, we pray that you would more and more sanctify us, that we may indeed see you in heaven, and we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.